women and women's rights, prison reform, the YMCA, the Sunday school movement in Britain many years ago, and 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities in the United States of America have in common. They were all begun by followers of an uneducated, itinerant, never-written-a-book carpenter who died, was buried, and was raised to new life. His name is Jesus. One sociologist argues that one of the primary reasons for the spread of the Jesus movement was the way that his followers responded to sick people. They cared for the sick and the widowed and the orphaned and the poor and the overlooked and the oppressed. And outsiders took notice. There's something different about these Jesus people. Even our years on earth are marked by a dash of how many years we were born respective to the birth of Jesus. For example, for me, it's in the neighborhood of 1,967 years. You could do the math. So let's go back once more and read about this early Jesus movement that changed the world. We've been studying several verses from the second chapter of the book of Acts. Luke is the writer. It's a continuation of the gospel of Luke. And we'll go back once more in this series on spiritual priorities and read from verses 42 through 47. Let's hear God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, right, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our key verse is verse 42a, the first part of 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Key word is they devoted. They devoted themselves. If they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, we've got to ask, who is they? Who is they? And to answer this, we simply go back a few verses to Peter's sermon at Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover and 10 days after Jesus ascended to be the right hand of the Father. And toward the end of the sermon, Peter said, this is verses 36 through 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And verse 41, those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. When Luke, the writer, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching there in verse 42, he was referring to these 3,000, this multitude of people who were added to the number of believers that day. Those early disciples, the ones who converted so early, this early movement of Jesus. And Luke writes these verses 42 through 47 as a summary statement to let us know what was happening in those early weeks and months of the church in Jerusalem. The church had not yet spread outward. Jesus had said that they were to focus on the people in Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish people who lived there, to share the gospel first with them and be his witnesses there. And then the first chapter of Acts reminds us that they would uh, go outward to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But they were to start there in Jerusalem. And the Bible says they devoted themselves. What does it mean to devote oneself? What does the word devote mean? The Greek word translated devote here in chapter 2 is proskartero, which means to adhere to, adhere to one, to be steadfastly attentive dedicated or loyal. They were steadfastly attentive to the teaching of the apostles. They were loyal to it beyond measure. They adhered to it. They paid close attention. They followed what it said. The words devote and devoted both stem, our English translation, both stem from the Latin word devotus, which means to vow solemnly or to consecrate. You can hear the word vow in the word devote. Devotus, I know our Latin teacher, Sue Robertson, will correct me later if I mess it up. <laughs> uh, bless, uh, this word here is wonderful. It's the past participle of the Latin verb devavri, which combines de with vavri to vow, meaning to devote oneself, to be committed. The Latin root has this understanding of committed oneself, committing oneself to a higher purpose or authority, making a vow or a covenant with another person or to God. And in this case, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And these were the teachings we know of Jesus. A few key definitions as we continue. The word teaching is didache in the Greek instruction or doctrine, instruction or doctrine. 
when you hear the word disciple, as we heard in the children's message earlier, the Greek word is mathetes, learner or apprentice or follower. I love to, to think of disciples as an apprentice. Discipleship literally means to follow after. And, of course, devote to adhere, to be steadfastly attentive. You might say, all right, Pastor Bob, what's that look like? What's it look like? To say that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, perhaps, might look like the commitment and the vow of marriage. Adam Hamilton is the pastor of Resurrection uh, United Methodist Church outside of Kansas City, Kansas. And in his book that I'm reading, entitled Love to Stay, Six Keys for a Successful Marriage, he writes, There are times when love is shown to me in a profound and deeply, in profound and deeply moving ways. The most powerful vision I've seen in my ministry of what marriage is meant to look like is the story of John and Denise. They're members of this church. John and Denise were among the founding members of Resurrection. They and their two elementary age sons helped in a host of ways as the church was launched. And Adam writes in his, as he tells his story, that Denise was diagnosed with a brain tumor many years earlier, but it had been in remission. And he says about three or four years after the founding of Resurrection Church, the tumor returned. And John and Denise learned that it was cancerous and that it was inoperable. Even though the doctor tried to slow its progress, the tumor would not respond to the treatment. And it was obvious that at some point that she would not recover. But Pastor Adam says that John and Denise moved to Columbia, Missouri to be closer to family. And one day after they moved, John called Pastor Adam and said, can you come? So Pastor Adam drove the two hours to Columbia to spend some time with John and Denise in their home. John was Denise's caregiver at this time. Pastor Adam rang the doorbell and John said, the door's open. And he came on in. John had just finished giving Denise a bath and was doing her hair and putting on some makeup and got her situated, and then he fixed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for his wife and for their longtime friend and pastor. He wiped her face after each bite. Every now and then, Pastor Adam said that Denise had some moments of a awareness with what was happening, recognizing something familiar, and that at other times there was a blank stare in her eyes. He says, when we finished eating, we had prayer together, prayed for her to be in God's hands. And then pastor said, when I got in my car, drive back home about two hours, tears just flowed. And then he thought to himself, this is what marriage looks like. 
in his book, he reflects, and he says, it wasn't about a piece of paper. It had long ago stopped being about sex or romance, fun or even friendship. He writes, this was marital love, a commitment that John and Denise had made for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish one another until death would they part. And then he writes this. This is agape. You know that agape is the Greek word translated into English, meaning God's unconditional love. He says, this is agape, and it's something profound, holy, and beautiful. This is God's mission and vision for what marriage is to be. We could say one word, agape. I think that's what it means to be devoted to one another and to God. And when the disciples, the, the followers, these new believers were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, it was agape. That's the kind of devotion they had to following Jesus. How does the word devote Devoted compared to the word devout. Devout is more about following religious rules and liturgies and checking the boxes. It's like being a devout fan. You probably saw the devout Detroit Lions fan named Benjamin Cap, who had been to every game since 1957 a season ticket holder, and was able to see their first playoff win since 1992. He had been to every game at home and had done everything as a fan, through thick and thin, through the highs and the lows, many lows. He was devoted. You and I can sit in church. We can go through the religious motions. We can check the boxes. We can give. We can do the things we're supposed to do and be, devote, be devout, but are we devoted? To devote, de be devoted is a matter of the heart. And that's what our vision is. God's vision for us at Huguenot Road Baptist Church is to connect people to a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ and the further documents that right below it in our vision report says we address people's longing for God by providing meaningful ministries and developing fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. It's more about being devout. It's about being devoted. At someday when somebody talks about my life, my funeral, I'd rather them say he was a devoted husband than a devout husband. I'd rather them say he was a devoted follower of Jesus than a devout follower of Jesus. May we be devoted to his teachings and to his ways. May we be Jesus-centric. That's the big idea. That it's all about Jesus. Following his teachings in his ways. What did the apostles teach? 
if you're taking notes. What did the apostles teach? Because it says, Luke writes, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did they teach? They taught what Jesus taught. Jesus-centric. What did Jesus teach? Things moral, ethical, and spiritual. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Go through the Gospels. See how he loved and treated others, especially those who are left out and depressed, oppressed. He taught moral teachings like the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. He taught them to love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. This is a new commandment I give you. He taught them ethical things, how others are influenced and impacted by our decisions and choices. He said, what you have done to the least of these, my children, you have done unto me. Not only moral and ethical, but spiritual. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus adds, with your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He commands us to pray and to do things that lead us into a worshipful experience with God. All of this goes into developing fully devoted disciples of Jesus. And we would say this, very important. Number one, it's more than information. Discipleship is more than just head knowledge. It's more than information. When questioned there at, before the very end about who would betray him, the, the disciples said, surely not I, Lord. They called him Lord. Judas said, surely not I, Rabbi. And there's a big difference, making Jesus Lord of our lives and just calling him teacher. Perhaps Ju Judas had head knowledge, but he didn't have the heart knowledge. And there's a big difference. Number two, we would say discipleship is much more than behavior modification. When Jesus met with the young, rich ruler and who asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, dialogued with him. And then we know that the young man went away sad because he could not devote his heart to do the things that Jesus said discipleship was all about. He couldn't modify his behavior by himself. He couldn't make the shift. And we know that happens when we make Jesus Lord. We would say that the transforming mark, thirdly, of Christian discipleship is a transformed heart. It's when we, we receive Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit takes over our lives and we surrender ourselves to him. And it's not only a change of mind, but is a transformed heart. Jesus did not teach to transfer information. Jesus led us to have transformed lives. How did he teach? Jesus taught by his words and his actions. Simple, his words and his actions. And as you heard one of our <coughs> children say, in the children's message earlier, we do what Jesus did. That's what it's all about. Jesus-centric. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, describes it this way. He, he calls it a visible community. 
And he says that the visible community comes from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. But the salt, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Bonhoeffer writes, for its own sake as well as for the sake of the earth, the salt must remain salt. The disciple community must remain faithful to the mission which we call that which is the call that Christ has given it. The call of Christ makes those who respond to it the salt of the earth in their total existence. In other words, Bonhoeffer writes, you are the salt, be salt. Then he says, the call of Jesus makes the disciple community not only the salt, but the light of the world. Their activity is visible. Bonhoeffer writes, you are the light in your whole experience. Since you are that light, you can no longer remain hidden, even if you want to. It is the property of light to shine. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It can be seen for miles away. The disciples of Jesus Christ must be what we really are, salt and light, a visible community, our discipleship visible through the actions and the words which lift us out of this world. Y'all, it's more than being informed. It's more than trying to do better. It's more than being devout. It's about being fully devoted. And only God can do that work in us as we lay it down. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect So be salt, be light, be fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We must not settle for anything less. 